all these people should be at home grieving. But instead, we are up here, standing together, because if all our government and president can do is send thoughts and prayers, then it's time for victims to be the change that we need to see. Welcome to Episode 9 of How We Win. All over the country, ordinary people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools you need to jump in and make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. The clock is ticking, and we want you to join the party. On today's episode, you'll learn how to support the young activists who are leading the way, making change, and bringing us all hope. We sit down with March for Our Lives co-founders Lauren Hogg and Delaney Tarr. They tell us how they've turned tragedy into a social movement. Then we're going to hear from Swing Left's college program director, Nia Bentall. She lets us know how college students are organizing around the country and how we can help support their amazing work. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How We Win. That us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS! That was Emma Gonzalez's from March for Our Lives, utterly inspiring speech that we all remember from when they first launched in the wake of the tragedy of Parkland. Yeah, from the beginning, so impressive. And I think that's what happens when you're leading with honesty and authenticity. Yeah, there was such a purity in that message that was so heartbreaking. And I just... I, when I first heard the we call BS, it was so true. Like it was such an obvious call out, but it kind of evoked young people with the we call BS, just the language of it. Right. But it had this maturity of someone speaking truth to power in this moment where everything was on the line right in the wake of this tragedy. It was just one of the more moving and brilliant speeches I've heard. Yeah, and from and, anybody, and 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 calling us calling us all out. Yeah, which which is what we need now, then, and and continuing forward. It was a powerful call to action. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, we get to hear later on in the interview, Delaney and Lauren, some of the co-founders of March for Our Lives, also, and mm-hmm. the incredible work they've been doing was such a such an amazing interview. Yeah, can't wait for people to hear that. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Are in order, Steve. Congratulations on being named one of the Democrats of the Year by the L.A. County Democratic Party. Well-deserved. Thank you. Pretty humbling for someone that's just really been doing this work in earnest for a few years. Yeah, well, you were in great company uh, with some of our friends and fellow organizers who who were honored uh, over the weekend in L.A. County. So congrats, everybody. Yay, everyone. I got to sneak in there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. That's nice. We're going to start by talking about our everybody's new new friend, Pierre. Uh-huh. Pierre Delecto. Oui. <laughs> oui. Oh, Mitt. What's your uh, your fake Twitter account? Do you have a... 
a secret I, Twitter I, account? I, I do not have time. <laughs> it, is, it is a little bit frightening that Mitt Romney had time to have a secret Twitter account, but it didn't look like he did a whole lot with it. Right. For those, for those who don't know what the heck we're talking about, Mitt Romney apparently has a secret Twitter account under the name Pierre Delecto. The account is locked down now, so you can't you can't see it anymore. It's now Ooh. private. But well, it's interesting to think about what these Republicans, especially these Senate Republicans, are really thinking about and doing behind closed doors. It is interesting because we we constantly ask, well, why aren't more people standing up to Trump? Now, we saw that they did with the G7 summit when he attempted to <laughs> hold it at his own resort. That's only because they didn't want to get bitten, bitten by bedbugs. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they just hate the omelet bar there. That's yeah. why they objected, not because of the uh, phony emoluments. Right. Well, right. And then he, he called that part of the Constitution phony, which – you know, tells you everything you need to know, not surprising. I do wonder if he's sort of testing the waters right now. And obviously, it's all coming down to impeachment, which the inquiry continues. Um, It's going to take a little bit of a pause this week, as the House honors Elijah Cummings, who passed away um, over the weekend, but then continuing on weekends. People are are testifying, whether they're part of the administration or not. They are coming in in these closed-doors testimonies. Mm -hmm. Um, Adam Schiff has said at some point he wants to make the transcripts of those testimonies public. So we'll look forward to – no one's going to read that. Well, so I so I think because of that, the House is going to hold some public hearings and it's very important for them to make sure that they have the public behind them. So down the road, probably it's sounding like this might happen between Thanksgiving and Christmas. There are going to be some public pieces of the impeachment inquiry uh, so we can hear what people are saying and weigh in, which – actually helps. It's crucial. And that's that goes to like, what's our role in this? We need to amplify this and support this call for impeachment and not be quiet about it. Because we've seen public opinion has definitely shifted. And another reason why Trump is throwing everything out there, because he's getting underwater uh, with this impeachment, you know, push for impeachment, but it has to be even bigger. I mean, we, we everything that we do mm-hmm. has to be huge. We have to overcompensate in every activity that we take because the Republicans and Trump, they are cheating. They are getting help from foreign adversaries of ours. It's not a fair fight. So we can't just squeak by. We can't just win elections by a few votes. It has to be overwhelming. Yeah, and Speaker Pelosi put out a fact sheet earlier this week that we can um, post on Twitter. But it's really helpful to look at it because it breaks down all of the things that the House is looking into um, that that Trump has done wrong. And so this is part of informing ourselves and arming ourselves with truth because the pushback that's going to come is going to be um, full of, to use the, the popular phrase, fake news. Yes, BS, to use another phrase. <laughs> and speaking of BS and fake news and mm-hmm. stuff that we need to be super aware of and push back on, there has been – a rise of social media misinformation coming both from the administration and of nefarious accounts from Russia and Iran that were recently removed by Facebook. 
sure many people have seen this in the news. It's There's been a lot of articles about it, but that social media misinformation campaign that was so effective in right. the last presidential election is in full swing right now. And why wouldn't it be? Because the Russians really had zero repercussions for their actions the last time. Yeah, we, we're seeing ads that are favorable for Trump and targeting Joe Biden. And in the process of targeting Joe Biden, they are being favorable for Bernie Sanders. So you know, as you're looking at the memes and images and graphics um, and statements that are being put out, just keep that in mind. You know, they amplify different posts in different ways. In mm-hmm. some ways, they they amplify other Democratic challengers like Bernie Sanders or, or other ones, too, mm-hmm. to make people feel like uh, they're part of that community. And they'll even start events. They'll create an event right. page and then bring people in. And then they just inject some more divisive language into there that's designed to create arguments and rifts within our party, within the Democratic Party. Right. We just have to be hyper vigilant. And if you are seeing this information, Black Lives Matter is another group that they have tried to shield themselves with in the past. Just make sure the info is correct. If you're seeing egregious grammatical errors or, you know, hashtags that are looking really misspelled or backwards or something like that. That's a sign that there might be an issue. Yep. Um, So double check where these accounts are coming from. Uh, Really think carefully about uh, commenting on stuff that's really divisive or uh, certainly reposting or amplifying these posts. Uh, Just be super thoughtful. And Delaney and Lauren from March for Our Lives talk a lot about the role in social media and organizing young people and how they've done that so effectively because they DM on Insta, right? Mm, that doesn't sound right. But I, I but I, I did learn I did learn a lot from them. No, I know what the kids are doing. I know because no. Um, I was thinking a lot about um, this interview this weekend. I was at my twentieth high school reunion. I was thinking about it because I graduated in nineteen ninety nine, and that was the spring that Columbine happened. Hmm. And there have always been school shootings. But for there to be a massive school shooting, it was such an anomaly. And right. now it's what we prepare for. It's And we treat it as an inevitability now. And that's so heavy. And it's such a, you know, it, it feels like just yesterday that that happened. And, and the world... That world has totally changed in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, it can't be an inevitability. We can't we can't allow that to be the case. And these interviews we did at the gun forum mm-hmm. really made me see the gun issue and the progress that's been made in, in a different light. I learned yeah. so much from, from all of those interviews. We did one with Chris Murphy that's a couple of episodes ago mm-hmm. that um, people should listen to if they haven't heard it. But – I felt so helpless around this issue, so completely helpless. And these kids in the wake of the Parkland shooting really brought everyone, but brought me so much hope to see how they really stood up and were undeniable and also registered so many young voters who were instrumental in helping us take back the House, all these new young voters, and will be instrumental in helping us 
when the White House and the Senate especially, they're hip they, – they know how important the Senate is because they want to get this gun legislation passed. Right. Very, very hopeful interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I think that there was also a moment where in the room that we were doing the interviews in, it, there was a window next to the table that we were all sitting at. And at one point, we all looked out of the window when we were talking to Lauren and Delaney because there was a school next door and mm. it was dismissing as we were doing the interview. And they looked over and I, there was this moment where we all, you know, it was that unspoken thing where you're sitting in the room with two young people who have been through something unimaginable and unspeakable and you look out the window and, and see the kids leaving school and, and where you just look out and say, we have to do more, we have to do better. That's right. So we're going to hear from that interview. Before we do, we have to tell you what to do this week one more time. It's the same thing as last week. It is Virginia elections. Almost here. Almost here. Next week, spoiler alert, next week we never tease our shows because we never know what's going to happen (laughs) in the news or what we're going to do. But next week I know we're going to go deep on Virginia and let people know more about these races and – more about why it's really important to get involved. But the short version of that is we need two House of Delegates seats, two Senate seats, right. and we have the trifecta. We have all branches of Virginia government where we can draw fair lines after the census, get rid of gerrymandering in the second hardest state to vote mm-hmm. in. We need one more state to ratify the ERA. Right. Equal Rights Amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment. Visit swingleft.org slash Virginia to find out how you can get involved. Now is the time to really start focusing on those phone calls and door knocks. And if you have some extra cash, this is when the campaigns are using everything they have on ads. So that's right. uh, Super helpful. Every bit of dough goes a long way in these local races. And if you're anywhere near Virginia, go knock on some doors. If you're not near there, make some phone calls. Great. Let's get to the interview. Can you start by introducing yourselves and and talking about why you're here today? Yeah. Uh, So my name is Delaney Tarr. I'm 19 years old. I was a senior in high school when the shooting happened at my high school, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Um, And since then, I have been a founding member and participant in the March for Our Lives. And it's been a huge, ever-changing organization and amount of work that we've taken on. And it's always something new, something exciting, something stressful oftentimes. But I've taken that advocacy. I've shifted and I've, I've taken on a lot of other roles. I have my hand in a lot of different pots, um, specifically in working for like women's rights and women's empowerment. Uh, but I'm also a college student. So I've got a lot of things <laughs> on my plate, but it's a natural progression, I think, from where we started with the march on day one. Yeah. Um, so somewhat similarly to that, um, my name is Lauren Hogg, first of all. I was a freshman at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas when the shooting happened, um, and I was a co-founder, and I currently am at the national level and have my hands in a couple different cookie jars of um, sections of activism. I work some in creation and idea creation with like media ideas, and then a lot of like speaking out and actually like lobbying work now. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. 
when you both co-founded this organization, did you imagine that you would not too too long after that be at a forum with 10 presidential candidates talking <laughs> talking about the topic? I mean, it's the, the craziest thing about the March for Our Lives is that I think that we kind of occupied a space that's never existed before in terms of activism. We mm -hmm. had a very distinct way of organizing. We used social media and grassroots movements. We had our massive march. We went on tour. We mm -hmm. went on another tour. We did uh, artivism and like art mm -hmm. activation events. We did t-shirt campaigns. We did viral videos. We've done things in a way that are very, very uh, normal for our generation, but not necessarily normal in terms of like the cultural context and what the national discourse normally is about issues like gun violence and other, you know, social justices. So we've definitely, I don't think we ever would have been able to predict this mm -hmm. just because this has never happened before. Not, not this way, at least. That's interesting you say what's normal for your generation uh, in organizing, especially, you know, what, what have you done that you've found? Because obviously this, you just started organizing and, and um, you know, it resonated with so many people, especially young people. What were the things that were really effective early on that you were doing? Well, I mean, our organization started through social media. That's mm -hmm. how we gained a platform. Um, and I think in the generation, we're one of the first generations to have grown up with social media yeah. most of our lives, if not for me, all of my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think my that My daughter was... never checks her email. It's all DMs on Instagram. Yeah. Really yeah. yeah. So I think that was definitely like monumental in how we got started. And I think it was a new realm mm -hmm. of um, organizing that hasn't really, hadn't really been touched before, I mean, somewhat in different orgs, but for young people to be using what they've been using their whole life with in regards to social media, I think it was really something unique. Yeah. Um, I think the distinction is that it was young people too, mm -hmm. that like our focus was on people in our age demographic. Yeah. And while there are other movements, like the Women's March did mm -hmm. mobilize a lot yes. online, but they mm -hmm. were they weren't necessarily as focused on young people as we are. And this is an issue that so many of us can mobilize behind because we've experienced it in some capacity. So. We definitely, social media was a huge tool. Um, you all have registered a tremendous number of voters, particularly young voters. Can you talk about how you did that, why, and what comes after people are registered to vote? I mean, there are a myriad of ways we decided with a lot of collaboration with other young people in different sects or mm -hmm. sections of activism um, with getting young people especially to vote and once again i think we use social media as a major way we got people registered um one unique way that march for our lives specifically um, has gotten many people registered is by using a qr code that our lovely friend jamal Lemmy had the brilliant idea to do um, and putting those qr codes on stickers on t-shirts on hats literally anything we could find mm -hmm. um it's so easy because everybody has their phone on them. If you have access to a phone and you just pull up your camera, you zoom in yeah. and you can register to vote on our website. So, That's so easy. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the natural next step after you register as many people as you can to vote is to get them to actually go to the mm -hmm. polls um, and to not just go to the polls, but do so in an educated way. Because mm -hmm. we do have very comprehensive policy that we're pushing for, the peace plan, as we call it. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different things out there, even just issues beyond gun violence prevention. There's so much that you can know, and it gets a bit overwhelming at times, but providing easy and accessible avenues for voters to educate themselves and others on what they're voting on is hugely important.
you mentioned those issues and you got them registered to vote. Mm -hmm. How are you guys keeping these newly registered young people or even people who aren't old enough to register yet um, engaged in this? I think one of the greatest tools, I'm going to say it again, is social media. But at <laughs> the same advocates. time, <laughs> as great as it is, it's also kind of the Achilles heel of um, getting younger people registered to vote. Because as easy as it is to send out a tweet or an Instagram post to hundreds of thousands of people that are a majority young people, mm-hmm. um, and how great it is you can get it out there in a matter of seconds or a minute. Yeah. Um, it goes away just as fast. I mean, yeah. with the constant material coming and being fed into our daily lives, it's mm-hmm. easy to forget. Um, but I would say, once again, that ability to be able to, in a, with a couple of clicks, tell yeah. 100,000 young people, oh, it's time to register to vote in your state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the beauty of grassroots organizing, which is right. another huge component of our organization and many youth activist organizations, is that we've got people on the ground in communities all across yes. the country, mm-hmm. and they're addressing the needs of what their city or town or state may need, mm-hmm. and be it voter registration, education, accessibility, um, advocacy in any capacity. They These, these vo- volunteers and workers that we have on every level are creating this huge difference within their own communities in ways that we wouldn't necessarily be able to with just a tweet. Also, sorry, just to go off no, of that yeah. really quickly, um, I know we've addressed social media a lot. But <laughs> Let's talk about it some more. Going, <laughs> no, but going Why even not? into our roots as activists, looking back at previous activists, really canvassing is something that I know Delaney and I spent a whole yes. summer canvassing in Florida oh, wow. sun. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's something that... Although it may not be the most efficient way of getting people registered to vote, you have some of the most unique and, I believe, authentic conversations when mm-hmm. it's in person talking Definitely. about registering to vote. Definitely. Right. Do you have any tips for people who are interested in canvassing but haven't had the opportunity to do it yet? I mean, there's so many different organizations to get involved with. And Mm -hmm. I think that that first step is really just like kind of overcoming the anxiety that comes with Mm. rejection. Because rejection is an inevitability when you're canvassing. We were asking people all day, every day, do you want to register to vote? Are you registered to vote? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll just literally be like, no. And they'll just like give you like the rudest face. And you have to deal with that. Because the reality is that not everybody is going to be so charmed by a person with a clipboard. (laughs) And that's part of it. It's it's dedication. It's knowing that you're not always going to get a yes. But when you do get that yes and you do register a voter, it is such a gratifying feeling. But there's organizations like Rock the Vote and Headcount and so many others that are focused on registering voters at different venues. It could be on the streets or it could be at a concert. And there's so many different avenues that you can pursue it. So... it's really, it's just about like taking that first step, getting over the the little bit of fear that comes with having to approach a stranger with a pen in hand and ask them to put down their information. (laughs) I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think it stops a lot of people being intimidated to talk to strangers. Right. Um, But it also seems that when you care about an issue, then... Yeah, I think that there is a lot of talk about like overcoming anxieties with activism um, because I've talked to a lot of people who have been like, I want to get involved, but I I am not good at speaking to crowds Mm -hmm. or I'm not super comfortable putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of different ways that you can pursue activism and it's not a one size fits all thing. There are writers and artists and organizers and policy writers and every single one of them occupies a distinct and valuable role within the organization. If you don't feel comfortable talking to crowds, you don't have to do that. You can strategize below like you can you can work behind the scenes the entire time there's options and i think that that's like a really important thing to stress for youth activists is that 
you can bring something to the table no matter what it is. And please do bring it, right? Because mm -hmm. there's lots of options mm -hmm. for ways to get involved, but there is really no other option than to get involved right now. Mm -hmm. See what I did there? Yeah. I would like very, those little play very options. Clever, very clever, very clever, very good little yeah. twist. I host a podcast. So. You gotta have it. It's the podcast requirement, number one. That's right. Clever. <laughs> um, had you, had either one of you done any activism or organizing prior to your school being thrown in the spotlight? So I would say nothing to the level of engagement with other no. people that <laughs> we've had since starting March for Our Lives with mm -hmm. our friends. Um, but I mean, I grew up in a family of teachers mm -hmm. and so going to like teacher rallies um, is oh. something that I remembered from like a little girl, just like going to so little cute. school district meetings. Um, and I'm glad I had that in place in me from a young age um, to ask questions at those meetings as 10 year old, eight year old, mm -hmm. seven year old, you know, yeah. it's like speaking truth to people that are older than you and learning that essential idea that even though they may be older than you, they work for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was a journalist in high school, so I occupied a very different role within that whole sphere mm -hmm. where instead of participating in the rallies, I would cover the rallies, which in its own way is very much you are advocating for something by telling that story. Mm -hmm. But I covered a lot of the, the different protests and major events that were happening on campus. My mic in hand, camera at the ready, <laughs> getting ready to interview some, some strangers about the teacher protests, about Black Lives Matter, about different, different groups and organizations. And I mean, we're both opinionated people. We've always been opinionated people. That doesn't, that doesn't come out of nowhere. It's what <laughs> led us and catapulted us into the, the sphere that we are now, but yeah, definitely not. To, I don't. I don't think many people can say they've worked in activism to this degree, to this extent that we have right now. Yeah. No, you've uh, and learned a lot uh, in a very short amount of time about what works and what doesn't mm -hmm. work. Um, and you mentioned mobilizing people through social media yeah. and then using grassroots organizing mm, to keep yeah. them sustained. And I mean, in just to kind of look at it from a different angle, in a span of less than two years, and of course it has been from the opportunities that we have been so fortunate to get, mm -hmm. we went from a group of kids in a random town in Florida organizing on a carpet to hosting a forum in Las Vegas. So. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy the growth that's happened and how we've had to shift and adapt to an ever-changing landscape because the like and we've always been asked the question of what's next. It's a very frequent question. I was going to ask you that question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's next is policy. Policy is a huge thing that we have to push for right now. It's why we're having the forum because we need to address this head on. There is a tendency, I think, in politics to have these very lofty conversations where we get so caught up in inspirational messages that we don't discuss anything tangible. Mm -hmm. um, and because we are so focused on accountability and holding elected officials accountable, we need to give them the policies to do so. And that is why we are literally crafting legislation and, and showing them that what they can endorse, what they can promise to enact if they are put into office. So so we're giving them all the tools. We're giving them every single ingredient they need to make that beautiful recipe. It's just a matter of them actually doing the work. Have you heard anything at today's forum that you're particularly excited about? I mean, yes. I or have mean, you had a chance to listen to, to anything I mean, on at the and forum? Off, yes. <laughs> on and off, yes. Um, but I think from what I've heard 
just the idea that these candidates are here today, that they're at an event that's solely focused on gun violence prevention, mm -hmm. shows how far we have come as a country. Yeah. Um, and especially just looking out at the audience, I almost feel as though this forum, as much as it is about the politicians running for president, it's also so much about the individuals in the audience. Always, um, yes. Because I know you may not be able to see on the live streams on TV, but a majority of the audience are either people who have themselves been victims of gun violence or have been in one way or another affected by gun violence. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that these survivors slash people who have been impacted by gun violence are at the forefront of this narrative is something that I think is paramount to any change within Absolutely. whatever you're doing. But I, I really think it's so powerful that we are finally at the forefront of this conversation. Absolutely. It's a voting issue. It is a major voting issue. And yeah. to know that they actually have come out here today specifically to promise us and to talk to us about such a far-reaching and widespread epidemic, it does speak to the power that not only the march has, has, has within all of its young people, but every gun violence prevention organization and every grassroots organization we have power. We can create this change. We can actually get an audience with some of the most powerful people in America and hold them to it, which is a, such an incredibly important thing that we're doing. And it, it does feel like this amazing culmination of a lot of work, but not over yet. <laughs> not over until we end gun violence, you know. Yeah, and it's it, the, your organization and your friends and colleagues that you worked with have really made a huge impact. And you mentioned many organizations, lots of organizations working in this space. Mm -hmm. um, but the work that you have done have brought this, have, have made this moment possible. Mm -hmm. um, where we are, um, our candidates are talking about this gun issue because it's an issue that resonates and is important. It's one that we need to talk about and not one that they're trying to hide from and, and, and work behind the scenes on mm -hmm. because it's politically untenable for them to talk out loud about it. That's in large part of the work that you've done that's made that possible. So thank you for that. And um, we usually end up our interviews asking people what brings you hope. And I want to I wanna ask you guys what brings you hope, but I also want you to know that every time we ask this question, the answer is almost always the young people who are organizing and leading the way and, um, and how inspiring it is and the work that they've been doing. Almost to a person, that's what they say when we beyond, ask them. Yeah, and beyond just today. Beyond just today. Yeah. No, yeah, beyond just yeah. today. So um, before, before we get to what brings you guys hope, um, <laughs> I, I want to say, as an older person, um, how can, I'm not going to say old people, but how can <laughs> us older people really support and advocate and be good partners in mm -hmm. the work that you all are doing? Oh, I mean, Manuel Oliver talks about that a lot. Yes, Manuel Oliver, the father of Joaquin Oliver, who passed away at the shooting at our school, who is now one of the leading ad um, advocates slash activists in the conversation around gun violence prevention talks about this a lot. Um, and especially because a lot of times when he's in a room with my friends, my colleagues, he will be the only adult. Yep. Um, he's the or only the only allowed. adult that we will <laughs> listen to and take input yep. from. <laughs> so he talks about this a lot. And just, I think, just being there, if you are the parent of an activist or just a parent of a student, um, just taking time to actually listen to them mm -hmm. and validating and knowing that their feelings are valid. Yeah. Um, along with this, just voting. I mean, I'm Huge. 16 right now, and oh. as though I can register, but although I can register voters, I still cannot, you know, actually that's vote, so and that's what actually matters. Yeah. Um, so definitely say that. Yeah. 
I mean, it means so much just to be listened to and like heard and valued by an adult. I mean, when you think about the influence that teachers have had in our lives, just one teacher who actually like treats what you're saying as valid and, and treats you as an equal, not as this subordinate, it is powerful and it changes lives. So to, to the people who are older, to the people who have more power in these structures, advocate for us, listen to us and genuinely treat us like human beings, which is a shouldn't be a big ask, but sometimes <laughs> is a big ask to be treated like a person of value um and i mean this this is a fight that is led by us yes but this is not a fight that can be won by just us well said yeah so um, oh yeah what gives you hope okay so you start <laughs> um i well the thing is the truth of it is the thing that gives me hope is other young organizers i mean i as a young organizer i'm given hope when i when i go to summits and i go to conferences and i see the crowds I see people younger than I am, which you're younger than I am, which makes me uncomfortable. I, I feel old. Um, I feel Please. old at 19. <laughs> but, but meeting like middle schoolers who are organizing chapters in their own schools and communities, meeting these kids who are taking a, a stand and sharing their voice no matter what the world tells them, it is so inspiring to see, to know that in every single field that there are young people leading the charge. That is the way it's always worked. Young people have led the charge in activism and changing the landscape for social justice and for a better America and a better world. But it never gets less exciting to witness it firsthand. It really does keep me going, knowing that we're not alone in this fight, that there's so many others just like us who are just as passionate and just as dedicated, if not more so, to making the world better. How about you, Lauren? Um, as much as I would like to refrain from saying that young activists are what give me hope. Um, <laughs> Be honest. As a 16-year-old, like Delaney said, kids that are younger than myself. Crazy. Um, I mean, you can look at people who even are part of our organization, um, spoke at the March for Our Lives, Naomi Wadler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, oh my gosh, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, um, blood-chilling, makes your heart pump even more. She, looking at people like her, people like Mary Copney, Lil Miss Flint, um, oh, so, so many great. people that it's interesting because because I was the youngest one who was the youngest co-founder, um, I kind of have become this bridge between my friends that are somewhat older than me <laughs> and them who are younger than me, looking up to me as a younger person in this group of right. young people and how to establish your validity in these conversations. <laughs> um, but truly it's, it's them. Yeah. Sorry to not give you a different answer. Yeah. <laughs> no original but answers to this. It's a testament to the fact that young people are the hope for America and they're the hope for the world. So we're the future and we're the present. So sorry. That's just the way it is. It is the yeah. way it is. And <laughs> well said, yeah. So speaking of the future, just since we have a couple more minutes, um, what, are, what are your future plans uh, beyond this? I'm just curious. Um, so Ambitions. we got a peace plan um, on our backs right now. Yeah. Do you mean personally? Personally. Or personally. personally. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. What are you going to be a journalist? Oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm a journalism major still. Uh, I'm, my goal is can, right now like education and being able to put truths of power through words in academia and really understanding like the systems that have been put in place as in as thorough of a way as I possibly can because we have a lot of informal education, but it is nice to be able to back it up with like theory and legality and education and all of that. But I mean, I, I love storytelling. I think storytelling and conversation and words are the most powerful thing that we have. And I just want to use that to make the world a better place in any capacity. 
Um, for myself, I would say that... You don't have to know yet, because you are 16. I know. So, yeah. I hear that <laughs> a lot, and I don't know, but I That's can pretend fair. like I do. Um, long, long term, I want to go to college. Where that will be, don't know. Just got to get in somewhere. Um, <laughs> eventually, I know that when I'm older, someday I would love to be a professor. I don't think I could be a teacher of high schoolers or middle schoolers. <laughs> You're going to um, be the president. But... <laughs> I, I would love to be a professor or somebody who is a mentor to other young or to younger people than myself, yeah. um, because I think I'm constantly going to look to that source of hope to be able to like, you know, like refill my being because so often we kind of empty ourselves by yeah. um, talking on this issue that so often is draining. Um, but that perhaps, and then short term, um, I'm trying to learn how to be a teenager. Because um, the shooting happened when I was 14. I kind of entered into this world of doing things that stereotypically adults or, I don't know, people that are older than 14 do. Um, I didn't really get the chance to learn how to be a foolish teenager. Um, And by foolish, I mean not doing illegal things or anything, but just (laughs) having fun in a certain sense, you know? Um, So... Well, I recommend that you just like run through the form while one of the candidates up there talking and just, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) Yeah, good influence. Yeah, Yeah, you're welcome. I have lots of great ideas. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. awesome. Well, Well, thank you so much. This was uh, really great to hear about how you organize and and, and how we can be supportive. So thanks for that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. Okay, I'm here now with Swing Left's College Programs Director, Nia Bentall. Hey, Nia, thanks for joining us. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. So tell us about the college programs that Swing Left is is doing that you're spearheading. So first, we have the Swing Left College Fellowship, where we really focus on making organizing skills accessible to anyone. Anyone who wants to be an organizer can be one. We teach students organizing one-on-one trainings like the hard ask, how to run a phone bank, and then also how to tell their story of self and, and how to build a team on campus. And this is really our exciting leadership development pipeline because young people are, they're hungry for opportunity and we just need to support them with the tools that we know will, will make a difference. That's amazing. And you guys are um, all over the country. How many different college campuses are you on? Yeah, so we're at over 60 colleges and universities right now. Um, We have everything from community colleges, HBCUs, public schools, private schools. We try to make this as accessible as possible. Tell me, like, what's really effective? Like, how how are young people organizing? Is there something that they're doing differently than, I don't want to say old people, but older, (laughs) older people? (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, Young people are really changing the ideas of what is politically possible. And that is really exciting to me. Young people care a lot about issues because they are affected by these issues. You know, they grew up going to school doing these gun violence drills that even I, who's only a few years older, never had to do. So young people really bring this intersectional framework with them to their organizing, because for them, the personal is political. It's, it's not just a phrase. Right. How can, again, not old people, but 
older people support all of this great energy and passion and organizing that uh, these younger organizers are doing? What can we do to help? So I think the first step is is listening, listening and you know taking their ideas seriously, even if they seem a little outside of what we may think as as more jaded folks is politically possible taking that seriously, and then also giving them the resources that they need to actually accomplish their goals. Um, the connections to political organizations, even like brides or providing free food to campus events can really increase turnout. Um, and if you ask, young people will tell, tell you what they need. Yeah, I, I remember when we were interviewing Cecile Richards, she said, um, when you're organizing, look around the table. And if you don't have uh, young people there, you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's so true because everything you described, all the energy and enthusiasm, you know, the hope, the possibilities, these are things that we need right now. We need these injected into all of our organizations. And there's no doubt that young people are are passionate and have mobilized people like like no one else has been able to, especially the Parkland kids, the March for Our Lives kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I'm grateful that Swing Left has has taken that seriously and has created this program, um, the fellowship and the network, to kind of provide the the platform for young people to make a difference. So for young people, not, not older people, but young people who want to get involved in this program, you know, what can they do? Yeah, so head to swingleft.org slash college programs, and there you're going to find all kinds of information about the network and the fellowship, our next recruitment period. You can sign up to talk to one of our organizers. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us, Nia. I hope you'll come back and talk about what you guys are doing again soon. I'd love to. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for joining us today and for stepping up and taking action. This is how we win. We want to hear from you and we want your story. Send us a note or even record yourself and email it to podcast at swingleft.org. Thanks so much to all of our subscribers. If you aren't a subscriber yet, please do subscribe and rate on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us with your friends and family and help us build this megaphone for the resistance. Use the hashtag howwewin2020. Share our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer. And we're going to wrap up today with some inspiring words from a staunch defender of our democracy and the conscience of the Congress, Maryland Representative Elijah Cummings. When we're dancing with the angels, the question will be asked. In 2019, what do we do to make sure we kept our democracy intact? W.